Welcome to the Ski Classics podcast, Parkestine to Set. Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 14, there are 14 races in 10 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on a pro tour and the challenger series, portray the legends of the sport and help you to become a better skier. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Podcastine to Senia. Once again, we are getting ready for the new season, season 14, that is uh, pretty much getting started in a couple of months. Uh, now it's the 1st of October, so not that much time left. On this particular podcast, we will talk about the season, the pro teams and the athletes. And my guests today are CEO of Ski Classics, David Nielsen. How are you doing? Hi Temo, I'm doing fine. It's been uh, been a while now since we talked last time, so looking forward. And then the second guest is Anton Carlson, former skier himself, Vasalope podium skier and also Ski Classics a race director. Anton, how's life with you? It's perfectly fine, I must say. Just became a, a father for the first time, so life is wonderful at the moment. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and next we'll talk about the season, athletes, pro teams, and ski classics in general. That'll be next. So, David, let's go straight to the point. New season is starting very soon. Season 14. Some people may wonder why 14. We talked about this way, way back. Uh, but you just kind of figured that 13 is an unlucky number. Correct. So we're skipping that season. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's the fastest way to get to 100. No. And uh, the other way is that uh, the reason is that we kind of feel that you know, a premium airline don't have row 13. So we want to be a premium product with Ski Classics. So then it makes sense to skip 13. And also some uh, really great uh, luxurious hotels. They don't usually have uh, that floor. So. Exactly. So we, we jump over that floor. But now, when you think about that season, before we kind of dwell into it, uh, what would you like to say about this season uh, compared to the ones that... Uh, were before this? I think this is probably the best season so far in terms of uh, what we're looking for is the balance of the season, you know, where we're starting, when we have some breaks, etc., etc. And so I feel it is uh, it's a season which has a lot of good things in it. We will come back to, I guess, the details of it, but where you have a, a start phase before Christmas with actually three events. And then we have four weekends, which are back-to-back -back races, which is a new record. We, we tried it two years ago with this back-to-back that we actually have a race both on Saturday and Sunday. And that fell well out. So that we have four of those makes sense, both from a, so to say, sustainable point of view and logistics point of view. And of course, also a cost point of view for all our pro teams traveling around, around Europe. We are now, again, sold out at 35 pro teams and over almost 350 pro team athletes. So it's, it's quite a big circus going around. So of course, we need also to think about the the transport uh, issues, so to say. So um, with that said, I think we, we once again, we start 
we had a little bit uh, last year uh, a difference that we had to start in Scandinavia, but now we go back to start in the Alps and then finish in the north. So we kind of go as once again from the south to the north in the Proto 14. I want to talk about those events individually a little bit later on, and uh, but Gastein is the one that uh, you just uh, talked about. It's very uh, good, uh, interesting choice. But Anton, uh, when you look at it from an, uh, f- a former athlete's perspective, how would you now kind of describe this season? Because it's always been going to talk about having uh, like the January madness, so many races back to back, and and athletes sometimes feel that they need a break. Now we have some breaks there as well. So is it now a balanced? season from your perspective yes i really think so because now we we have some more points to compete about before christmas we have some more air in the calendar making sure that the our grand classics events and other big events have some more room and so on so i really like the new calendar i also got some good feedback from all the pro teams regarding the calendar so I feel we have done something good here. Now it's just a matter of executing it as well. Indeed, executing the season. So let's get to it. Uh, Badkastein, we just uh, briefly talked about that. That's but, uh, Temo, maybe mm-hmm. we have a news too. Maybe we should reveal something. Yes, okay, uh, uh, that's right. We should actually talk about the uh, the new logo as well. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a perfect time when we're going to talk about the new season that we actually reveal... Uh, a real brand new thing that we actually launched today, 1st of October. It's the new logo. Tell me about that logo. I mean, it's a new uh, look and feel. What was kind of the idea? Why did you feel that it needs to be changed? Uh, but we should never stand still. So we always need to, so to say, take a new step in our development of uh, of the project with Ski Classics. and. And that's kind of been very important for us. Now, when we launched the the project back, I actually looked, I was planning in 2007. That was before season one. But 2007, we start started with IDs behind Ski Classics. And then kind of wanted to be the the first phase was to, to deliver and create uh, from scratch a world uh, championship series, we can call it, in long distance skiing. So should be like in Formula One that you had like a series over the winter and so on. And then the logo was supposed to reflect that it should be something quite um, fixed, statue-wise, uh, and also quite rigid, so to say. But that also gives, um, uh, in our next phase where we come to some years ago, we start looking more at, you know, broadening our project from not only being a, a World Series championship, but also... Uh, look at recreation skis a little bit more, look at the challengers, trying to be a little bit more a brand for for everyone, more than just the, the pro teams. And then we felt that maybe we need also to refresh our our identity in terms of the look and feel of the logo, etc. And to go from being a, a kind of a, a something you hammer in uh, in stone with an axe or whatever you use to hammer in stone. And then... Uh, to have more like a, a dynamic logo symbolizing more movement. That's kind of where we want to go because that's where we want to go with the tour. We want to go to the movement feeling where, where you feel you want to be part of it. And uh, that's, I think, the important signal of the new logo. But of course, we keep our Ski Classics blue. The the color will always be there because, of course, you know, Tour de France has its yellow. Um, Euro Italia has its pink. 
and we have our ski classics blue. So, uh, so that uh, color is also very important for us. So, Anton, what about you? How, what do you feel about the new logo, and what does it tell you, or what kind of ideas do you get when when you look at it? I think uh, with sending a signal that we're we're changing or not changing but developing uh, i think that's the classics have taken some major steps the last years and a new logo is uh, one way of showing it off and i am also with david's thoughts about that about the, the movement and uh, being able to like uh, making the best of it and feel like it has I really like it. I, I can't describe it so good. I'm not that good of a <laughs> describer, but uh, I really like the new logo, and I think all of you listening should check it out. And we actually have two or uh, quite many different uh, logos because we have a lot of different ways to use it. But we have two major families. One is the Ski Classics family logo with the Protor, the Challenger, etc. Then we have the SC also, which is maybe something new so the sc is uh, something very interesting that we a new concept we will deliver over time so keep your eyes open for the sc what does that mean so when i listen to you guys you constantly talk about change and moving ahead and moving forward uh, which is of course important for any brand but also uh Uh, it could be a bit tricky sometimes, meaning how much can you change or should you change? Uh, David, when you think about these I- ideas, uh, now this is a f- season 14, but uh, 12 years behind us. Uh, how difficult is it or is it difficult to sometimes just evolve every single year? Because that's pretty much what Ski Classics does. Every year something new comes in. Yeah, of course it takes a lot of so to say energy brain energy we can say that you kind of have to drain yourself and the whole i mean not in the whole crew of us that we have to kind of pressure out a little bit all the time but that's part of the our dna too that's kind of what we what we like doing so uh, i think it's either you you develop over time or you are by default on on decline so to say so you have to choose your your uh, you know your way if you want to to be part of the future 50 years from now we have to you know follow the changes in the the world around us all the time and so we have to be part of it or not being so to say dragging after the developments that uh, always society is doing in general so so yeah that's that's kind of part of our DNA and it's also I think the the changes we do in the tour also reflects that we need to be flexible because that's kind of our experience from now you say 12 I say season 14 that's the 14th uh, year but um, but I mean we've been through so many things during the years in our events from avalanches to lack of snow green days moving countries it's it's a lot of changes during our season so I think with the The off-season development program that we work with after the season, it's a way also to get us mentally ready for being flexible in the season. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a continuous work to keep keep your mind ready for changes. So would you say that uh, your philosophy is quite a lot of trial and error? You try things, either they work out, they don't, and then eventually you find things that are solid. No, I wouldn't say so because uh, 
I mean, it might say that we, of course, we want to have some novelties every year, but but the main structure is very solid. I mean, the same year from year. That's really a classics because that's also where ski classics name came from. That we should do like we did what Vasilopoulos has done since 1922. We should kind of keep that story alive. So, but when we have this kind of solid ground where we have the you know quite many events which are the same year year after year and so we also can have some new tests and if we have we feel quite secure in our brand and our logo and our product in general and then with that said then it's easier to to make some tries every year and and then have a, a professional development or evaluation process after and see okay was it good or was it not so good and then we decide if we're going to keep it or or so to say, say at least we tried. So it's a little bit uh, different things, but I think I mean, we should also remember that I mean the, this, the the major part of ski classic is something very traditional and very old, so to say, too. So we're proud of both sides that we can have have both in the same calendar. I think that's a really good segue uh, for us to take a look at the season with it, its new things and old traditional things. And Barkestein, that's the first first location, first races, a new place, back to Austria. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, we we always want... I mean, Badgerstein, to begin with, the, 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 the place, so to say, or the location is, of course, a very, very strong... Um, especially actually in Scandinavians' mind. Someone down there when we were on site just told us that one of the hotels said that 90% of the guests were from from Scandinavia. So it's actually Austrian destination, but they have much more Scandinavian guests than Austrian, actually, if that's right. So in Sweden, it's a very strong brand, Bad Gerstein, for Swedish people to go down and especially do alpine skiing. So to have that strong brand part of our tour, we're very proud of that because it's it's one of these it's a best locations, I would say, premium locations in, in the Alp region. So actually to start off the season there, it's it's a great place. And, um, and the, the Bad Gerstein, actually the Gerstein Valley has then uh, uh, some different uh, villages where Bad Gerstein is the main village. And then five kilometers on top of that, you continue the road upwards to about 15, 600 meters. That's... Then you come to Sportgastein, and that's the location of our Saturday and Sunday event. But we will also, for the first time, try a Friday uh, team presentation where we do actually on the main square of Badgerstein. And those dates for those uh, that weekend is Saturday, December 10th. Uh, that's the Protein Tempo. And then on Sunday, then uh, following day, uh, 35 kilometer classic uh, technique. Anton, can you actually say something about these as races, being a race director, these two races? Yeah, we start off the season as normal with a, a Protein Tempo, which is uh, the perfect format for introducing all of the 35 proteins to to the world for the new season and so on so and it's has grown to be a little bit of a classic event also i think uh, it shows not only the proteins but it also shows that we are working as as teams uh, in ski classics and uh, i think it's a really fun competition to to follow and then uh, on sunday we do the it used to be called the individual prologue but now we call it a criterium race uh, so it we call the Wadgerstein criterium, and that's it—a loop race, uh, same 
same thing that we did in Ushra last year. So it would be a Maybe, maybe Anton, we should say that uh, that we have created definition in our definition or criterion is that it's a loop race with shorter loops than 10k, correct? Yeah, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Mm. So that's when the uh, the two pro tour uh, kicks off in December. Then it continues right after one week later. La Venosta criterion again. You just defined that uh, word. The location yeah. that's been around, you know, uh, for a while now. But yeah, um, we've been there sometimes and tried some different uh, setups. Uh, this would actually be a combination of um, the two last editions, where we do mass starts, so we do a loop uh, in uh, Milago, and then, but we'll not go to the absolute top of the loop like we did last time we had it. But we will do that last hill only on the final straight. So. The last time you come close to the hill, you go to the top, and the finish is then where we had the finish on the ITT last year on Milago Alm. So, so we do the finish on top because we think that that's actually something people come to come back to. But we have one quite uh, uh, cool news this winter: the the iconic climbs. So that's probably something you will speak about more. But but uh, well, that's that uh, climb hill there, even if it's not an iconic climb in the tour, is still a very recognizable uh, last hill when you know seeing it, it looks quite tough on TV when it's high altitude and a quite big angle and it, it looks um, nice to see skiers fighting up there and that is a 40 kilometer classic technique uh, race out there in Italy but then there's a break after that Christmas break holiday New Year's and so forth uh, all the way to mid-January January 14th and 15th uh, we come back to Italy and that's the Bustetal ski marathon and then of course the following day Prato Piazza mountain challenge and that was a weekend that uh, skiers really liked a lot that was voted as a as the uh, event of the year so it's back what do you guys want to yeah. say about this this weekend, both races? Yeah, exactly. No, but I think what's new maybe on the first two weekends is that we actually have two weekends before Christmas. That we have three events in two weekends. So we kind of make a, a little bit stronger start before Christmas of the tour. And then having this little bit break, we, we got the feedback that last year we had five weekends in a row in January. I think it was quite hard. So we have a little bit easier January madness period this year and uh, with the the Pustetal Marathon having it back and uh, of course Prato Piazza too the event of the season last year as you said but Pustetal Marathon is the the big mass start event so to say for recreation skiers as well and it's actually one of my favorites I don't know what Anton thinks but because you kind of start in Sexton and you get a very, very beautiful uh, area of Sutrol, uh, and then you come to Torblak where Torblak Cortina started. You go up to the to the areas in the Dolomites uh, on the way to Cortina and you turn back and you finish in the city center of Niederdorf where we have moved the finish line a little bit to make it even better. So more on the main, main street there in Niederdorf. So it's a race where I would say pretty much has everything from from uh, as Jürgen and Anders Auckland would have said, you need to have minimum 50k, you need to have a tunnel, you need to have a lot of things that need to be in it to be a real race, but Pustodomarland has it all. So Anton, uh, you've talked to all the skiers, What what's the feedback that you got from them about Pustetaler being a new race last season? They really liked it, and uh, wait, 
this uh, Tobrash Cortina area and Sexton and Sesto and all of that area is a super nice area to ski in. And uh, I think uh, the Pustetal ski marathon course really has it all. Uh, it's uh, long, it's quite tough, it's uh, very beautiful and we have a finish in, inside the town and everything. So it's a super race. It's a 62-kilometer race, and then the following day, 30-kilometer race. So two races back-to-back, over 90 kilometers of racing. And Prato Piazza Mountain, as the name uh, uh, says, it's a mountain challenge. Long climb, 10-kilometer climb all the way to the uh, the top. Uh, that was a tough race last year. Uh, Anton, what did the skiers say about that, having two races back-to-back, and the one being, okay, shorter, but really a tough one? They... Uh... I think we were all quite um, shocked how how good it was, uh, how or how strong they were at double polling compared to guys uh, trying to go with kick wax. That was my main main uh, what what's it called main um, yeah what I m- remember most from that uh, from that day. But then I, I think now the the elite or the the best ones they have adapt so much to the double polling so competing two days in a row even if it's pro tour two days in a row it's it's not a problem anymore uh, so i think we're that's also why we're trying to introduce more more double double weekends of course so i i only heard positive feedback from uh Prato piazza and there's actually quite many of those double weekends now uh in the calendar uh, David, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice race to, I would say, the weekend to go as a recreation ski to do the race on Saturday and then, you know, the day after go to the top of Prato Piazza, watching the finish line. It's a nice restaurant up there too where you can have, you know, something nice to eat and stuff and, you know, watching that and hopefully in, in sunshine. Yeah, it is a really a wonderful uh, location. Uh, for skiing, that whole area, as you said, Anton. Then after that... Uh, Engadin, La Diagonela, anniversary, 10 years. It's uh, really been that long since that race started. Uh, yeah, what do you, I mean, it's beautiful location again. One of the greatest places there for skiing, I think, uh, in the world. 200 kilometers of uh, groomed tracks in that area. And I think Engadin itself, the race La Diagonela, has become a very traditional race in ski, ski classics. It's a bit shorter now, 55 kilometers. It's not that 65 that it used to be. But, David, what do you want to say about La Diagonela? I know so much has been said, but... No, but if you haven't been there, you must go there because the valley is probably win- one of the winter world's most beautiful places to be. And they have everything except, of course, cross-country skiing. But you can also do some alpine. And even you can try bobsleigh, which I actually did last year. It was really cool. And you can actually do bob there. So you can try many different things. A lot of things to do. It's really an act, a valley focusing on active life, so to say, that you can try different things. And, and the race has, as you said, become one of our classic races now, it feels like. From, from being a newcomer 10 years ago to now being... You know, one of the major events every year, I would say, because it feels like you come there and and the skiers like it. I think both the recreation and the elite, you feel it's a little bit extra tension in the air when we come to La Diagonela. That you know, being on the course is quite 
quite tough, I think. I don't know what Anton says, but I mean, it's still altitude, so I mean, it's a lot of altitude. So, so um, I, it's, a, it's a race that has both this from Marcelonga, this picturesque villages. It has the beautiful landscape. It has more or less always good weather, which is kind of special there. That they they say that at 322 sun days per year, which is probably true. So I great location to to go to every year and and um, and uh, do cross country ski. So yeah, Anton, what do you want to say about the the course? Uh, David mentioned the high altitude, but also the snow is often quite cold. Uh, try kind of grainy snow, uh, not the fastest conditions. Now you're right there. It's very dry, dry, dry snow. It's a quite special snow, but that also makes uh, like tracks are always super in super conditions. So as David mentioned earlier, if you haven't gone to Engadin, you, you must do it. And also what's good, of, good about that location is that you can go there, do the race, stay there for the whole week, and then travel to Italy for Machalonga. It's a perfect combination, per- perfect package, uh, because Machalonga is the, the following race. Uh, on So Saturday, to January 21st, that's the date uh, for Engadin, and then January uh, 29th for Machalonga. Well, Majalonga, everybody pretty much knows uh, everything about it, but still that magic, that jewel uh, in Italy. Majalonga, 50 years behind it. It's, it's also celebrating. Uh, do we know that is, is anything special coming up there? Yeah, but they're, they're quite big uh, changes. They're actually changing for... Uh, for They actually had a little bit different courses uh, from year one, so to say. They had some different... But they have a change the finish line so they we will finish the race in the opposite direction so i think that's a very positive thing because that means that the finish line is is on the plaza or the piazza there in the cavalese so you actually can finish where all the people are standing waiting you know having this folk fest down there and and uh, also that the up that the finish last 100 150 meters become a little bit uphill i think it's very positive because it makes makes it more open on the last straight so so that's it's they also have a little bit change in um, in the village of Molina, which is where the course turn around before about 10k before the finish, and uh, there they actually go a little bit extra in the village to show more of the picturesque uh, village of Molina di Fiamme. So so there will be a couple of changes actually, and then back to the normal track because remember we haven't been a couple of years ago since we went through Predazzo due to Corona they didn't want to go through. The village, but now we're back in um, with the sprint in uh, in the Predazzo Predazzo city center. So so back to normal, and then some uh, new changes. It's a good combination. Great race. So Anton, uh, skiers they always like uh, Machalonga. There's something magical about the race. Uh, but when you did it yourself, did you like the course? Did you or? What would you like to say about the the race itself from an athlete's perspective? It's a very fast-paced race because it's mostly downhill uh, after Canazé, except, of course, the long, uh, last climb. Yeah, Marcelonga race course is uh, like no other one. Uh, it's uh, often quite high-paced, the first 5 or 6K, and then it settles down a little bit. Often there's a... Uh, if the conditions allow us, it's often a group of 20 people, something like that, up to Kanasei, and then we turn around, and then it's a completely new ball game down 
downhill for uh, 40-50k almost. Going through villages in uh, high speed, great atmosphere, going in the often fast conditions and everything. So, yeah, it's uh, one true iconic pearl, uh, the Marcia Longa course. I think it's like, is it 14, 15 villages that you're passing, going straight through them? Something like that. Yeah. And also what's interesting about that race is that the conditions usually change because you start quite high up, actually, 40. I think the highest point is about 1,400 uh, meters above sea level. And you go all the way down to 800 or so. And towards the end of the course, it's a man-made, well, it's usually man-made snow everywhere. But quite often you have a little bit of a natural snow uh, at the start area and up there. But then towards the end, uh, it's just man-made artificial snow, and usually temperatures get uh, much warmer. So how do you select skis for that? That's a very difficult, uh, not just for you guys, but for anyone racing there. There's a, mostly about tactics. I think it uh, differs within the teams also, uh, that you have some guys that maybe want to go for a breakaway, they want to aim for the sprint in Predazzo or something like that. Uh, but if you want to win the race, you must have very fast skis, uh, especially from the uh, Olympic Stadium there in the upcoming Olympic Stadium in, in Lago de Tesero, in Val de Fiemme, uh, and towards the end, there's where you should put your best skis. And uh, it's quite, of course, the cascata we know about, that's the, the final climb, but the new section in order to come from the other direction, it's called La Strega, or The Witch in, uh, in Italian, Strega. So, so it's from Cascata to Strega to finish, so that will be really tough. That when you start to Cascata and you come to Strega, it's even more climb there in the first section. So it's, uh, it's going to be really, I really look forward to seeing, uh, seeing that uh, final climb, which is now has a little bit more flavor to it, actually, than, than before. I think we're all really excited about that and the, uh, the Machalonga and that new new ending. But then after Machalonga, there's a bit of a break uh, again uh, all the way to uh, mid, almost mid-February. Sunday, February 12th, that's when, when Yiserska Baresatka takes place. Uh, another uh, classic uh, traditional race. And by the way, Machalonga is the first event of the uh, ski, class, uh, ski classics. You know, uh, uh, you know the... Uh, uh, the Grand Classics. Grand Classics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Grand Classics. And uh, Yiseska Brezatka is the second one. Um, that place has a different type of atmosphere, I'd say. Uh, Anton, what would you like to say about that place, remembering your racing days uh, in, in the Czech Republic? Yiseska, uh, it's uh, like a, a mixture almost between Scandinavia and uh, the Alps because it has these long climbs and, uh, of course, the forests of the north and so on. And uh, now we've been very lucky with the weather the, the last few years, and that has really shown the true Yiseska potential with this uh, going like on the autostrada or autobahn through the Czech woods there and. Uh, uh, I really like it and I also like, in this case, I like that both the start and finish are on the same place, which creates a super nice atmosphere there up in Bedrichkov. And what about the course itself? There's a long uh, climb at the beginning 
uh, another really long climb uh, after halfway point, which often is the decisive one. But how difficult is that course compared to uh, some of the other ones we have in the tour? It's quite similar, or it's even called like the the mini version of Birken in terms of the race course. It starts off with a long climb, same as Birken, and then you have a, a flatter section and a downhill before the second climb, and then uh, downhill towards the finish. But uh, if you categorize it, uh, it's actually not the hardest it's not but it's uh, definitely upper half of hard courses in in the ski classes pro tour and david uh, what would you like to say about uh, this particular race and working with the uh, the organizers they've been uh, with us you know for for so long i assume that the cooperation is uh, pretty seamless it's a, it's a very good organization, very dedicated and passionate. And it goes with the, with the whole place, I would say, in Bedejo, that it's in Czech Republic, there's a really big heart for cross-country skiing. And you can feel it with Comna. There's a lot of passion. There is, you know, really a folk fest where kind of maybe, especially our four grand uh, classics events, all four have, that it's, it's, it is a little bit special the vibes in the air has a little bit more energy in it, so to say. So, um, so it, it's uh, it's uh, it's a race where I would say in our crew in ski classics, most maybe one of the, the races that the crew look forward the most to go to because it's uh, it's a really nice place in in the so to say mountain areas of uh, Northern Czech Republic. And then after that race we go back to uh, actually not back to one we go to Sweden for the first time Krönklit uh, Kriterium and Krönklit ITT those two races are coming up on Saturday February 18th and 19th location Usha Krönklit of course we had it last season but these races are now different uh, from last year Yeah. can you shed some light and, uh, on that? yeah I mean we we, we had the uh, Granted, with us the first time last year in the Pro Tour, and if you're Swedish like me and Anton, we and especially for me, we, which kind of grew up in Stockholm, you go a lot to Ushai in uh, in the winter. So for Stockholm people, it's kind of there or Högbo where you go, you know, doing one weekend ski, cross country skiing because it's not so safe with snow in Stockholm. So it's a very famous place in Sweden. But I, what was very fun last year was that for the Norwegians, which of course have so many places to go cross country skiing. It was a little bit hidden pearl for them that they a lot of the them um, the feedback from from the Norwegian proteins that I spoke to was that oh what a nice place I haven't heard about this because they it's not so many Norwegians going there so so I hope we can open up Grunklet for Norwegians a little bit more and and now this year we we moved it from December to February and. I mean that that's where we want to be with Scandinavia. That we want to be go to Scandinavia when the sun is there and not too early. So so showing Grönklit in um, in uh, so to say more sunlight, but also when there is uh, hopefully more snow, which is normally is very safe for snow, and we can do more options also on the course in in February than we could in December. So it is. Um, it's a very, very nice place to go to and having it two weeks before Vasalop, but it's also a point there. Of course, we have Shea Vasan, um, 
race between these two Pro Tour events, which a lot of the female skiers do. So it's quite nice for the skiers to actually go to Grönklit, staying two weeks until Vasaloppet training on the courses and, and the tracks for, for Vasaloppet too. So it's a little bit that it's connected to to Vasaloppet that we go to that area for, for you know, many, many teams will be there for two weeks. And I think it's important to mention that Usha is uh, very close to Mura, or only about 30 kilometers north. For those uh, uh, people listening to this that are not familiar with uh, Sweden and Sweden's geography. Uh, but you, you just mentioned Vasaloppet. So uh, now the tour is in, in Sweden, a bit of a break, two weeks. And then Vasaloppet, as always, on Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of March. And this coming year, it'll be March 5th. 90-kilometer race uh, from Selen to Mura. Anton, the race that is probably your favorite. You were second there uh, two years ago. Still warm, warm, fuzzy feelings about it, correct? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's always been my favorite, actually. Uh, remember growing up as a little child uh, back home in Sundsvall, uh, like first Sunday of March, that was almost like uh, Christmas. Christmas morning, and you, mom and dad was always making coffee—not for me, of course—but coffee and some uh, sandwiches and everything. Then you had to you had to watch Vasaloppet. Then then the day could start. But Vasaloppet was like almost like Christmas morning, even since then. And I, I've always loved Vasaloppet. There's no no secret in that. So after your uh, second place, did anything change in your life? You didn't win, but pretty close. Did people did, did people start to recognize you right away, or what happened? Not, not on the street like that, but it's not uh, it's nothing like that. But uh, of course, it's uh, for those who know who know me as a skier, they remember me for the second place at Vasaloppet, if I say it like that. And lots of skiers say that to win Vasaloppet is almost or could be as important as winning uh, world championships or maybe even an Olympic medal. Uh, what do you think when you've talked to people? How much do they really value winning Vasaloppet? Uh, it depends a little bit on where you are from Sweden. Uh, in in the northern part, they are more about the the world championships and the Olympics, and in, in the southern parts, my ones talk a little bit more about the Vasaloppet, and especially what time you had at Vasaloppet is quite important. That's funny because in skiing times, as you know, uh, it's a bit tricky because <laughs> of the weather conditions. Exactly. But still, it's not like running. <laughs> But uh, and David, uh, is there anything that you can say about Vasaloppet? Because so much really has been said about the race, uh, but still, it's it's uh, one of the wonders of the world when it comes to uh, long distance skiing. I think, uh, I mean, you, you, I mean, we talk about it, of course, every year, and it's a it's a fantastic uh, venue and race in the area. And I mean, what what I think. Most people go there for the first time, even if I think almost everyone has been there soon. But it's, of course, the magic atmosphere at the start, where you kind of feel that the energy is bouncing in the air of the 16,000 people starting together. That that energy is something really special that you can almost feel the energy from everyone excited to start the race. So, yeah, it's a lot of energy in the air at Vasaloppet.
And then after Vasa Lopez, bit of a break again. And then Saturday, March 18th, another really classic. And the last uh, Grand Classics event. Vasa Lopez is, of course, Grand uh, Classics event. And then Birke Bainerenet. Birken is the last one from uh, Arena uh, to Lillehammer, 54-kilometer uh, race. And as you said, Anton, long climb at the beginning. Jiselska uh, Padesatka kind of reminds uh, us of, of that race. But Birken, how important is that uh, for Norwegians? I know that Vasalopet is uh, something special for you guys in Sweden, but Birken in Norway. Birken is huge, huge in Norway also. Maybe Vasalopet is a bit bigger, but I know I know there are Norwegians that like yes, values a win in in Birken higher, even higher than Vasalopet. So uh, Birken is. Uh, if you win Birken, you're truly a legend in Norway, of course. And David, what does Birken uh, represent or mean to you, being a Swede? Uh, being a, I don't know if being a Swede represents so much, but it's a race where I think the nature talk for itself. That those, which quite often is the case this time of year, that it's actually good weather over the the two mountains that you are passing, then. If you're experienced that days, I would say it's maybe the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful races and places you can ski on. And that experience you get from that is something very, very special. And then when you come at about ish, a little bit more than 10K before finish, you come to Sjusjön, where um, where all the, actually the, the big folk fest, I would say, is actually there. Because there's so many cabins up there and people living there and staying there. And, Last year, we saw people camping. It was actually 20k on the mountain, crowded with people. So it was actually amazing to see last year's pictures of of the beacon. Since we had been, you know, the Corona canceled so for a while before that. So so it was really really good to to be back and you know going through the the amazing landscapes that beacon has to show and and the Lillehammer, the village or city of uh, Lillehammer is. It's one of the most uh, nice villages in Europe, I would say. It's a super nice, uh, once again, picturesque village that uh, one need to experience. Since Birken is the last uh, event in Grand Classics, uh, let's have a word about that a little bit. So, Majalonga, Jeska Paresatka, Vasalopet, and Birkebanerenet, those four form uh, the so called uh, Grand Classics, uh, a little bit more prestigious than the other races. A word about that, uh, David. Uh, why did you feel that it's important to have a bit of an own tour within a tour uh, for this? We think it. Uh, it was two part of it. One is the the prestige in these four events. We feel is a little bit higher, and then also that these are four events that's been all season, since season one, and that we wanted to feel when we're now expanding that we want to try to uh, at that time when we launched it want to test that we had a different differentiated point system that we can actually value a certain event a little bit different depending on the on the on the sort of level of uh, of prestige to win or so it's not maybe not the best thing to to describe it but but we still wanted to to feel that possibility and the fact that actually no one in history has won all the four grand classics events the same season that makes also a special dynamic to it so and we in but if it's very natural these these are the four 
events that have the most prestige, I would say, as of now, it can change over the years, but but I um, they mean something extra, and and they are also very different. That you have, you no, know, my salonga with with its kind of as you said, I wouldn't say it's downhill because it doesn't feel it when you, it doesn't feel so much downhill when you do it because it's quite long and tough race, but it's it's kind of that uh, downhill uh, format. And Vasilop, it's more maybe a flat and longer, which has the length, and then Birken, the mountains, and Yesaiska maybe a little bit in the middle of it. So they have they have four very different types of courses and meaning that if you win all for the same year you are really a complete skier even if you doesn't win the same year if you have there are some that win it you know all the races in different years and actually showing that you're a complete cross country skier i would say and then after Birken, a bit of a break again, uh, but we stay in Norway. And then we have two more races, but the same location. We go to Setemuen and Badufos. Reistelöpe, that's been in the tour you know, for some years now. But then we also have a new one. So Saturday, April 1st, Reistelöpe, 50-kilometer, tough race, probably the toughest race in the calendar in the tour. And then another one, 70-kilometer race, day after. Yeah, so, and Race uh, Telepath, of course, is uh, now been some years now in the calendar, so it feels uh, it feels I've been there a very long time, and uh, a great race. And uh, I mean, the whole area of northern Norway, where you have Lofoten close by, and the, the island of Senja, where we actually, of course, we come on the second day this year, it's uh, two absolute top places in the world to see the nature up there all year round so so to be raised a on saturday and then then having then the, as you say the new race on sunday where we actually have the final weekend as a back-to-back weekend too that we feel when when you say getting close to 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 uh, close the season is quite uh, positive to do it with a double weekend like a little bit bang in the end and the sunday event i think will See what Anton says about about the course profile or so, because he was actually scouting it uh, the whole uh, last year. So, but but that we're actually finishing on the ocean. I mean, on the actually on the port of uh, Finsnes, where Hurtigruten ship can stop just a couple of meters from the finish line. So, to actually end the season by the ocean, and if we're lucky, maybe some killer whales or, or other ways can make some jumps outside just next to the finish line. That, that it's a very special place and that to be able to have a cross-country ski race and it's so so the nearby of Senja, it's uh, it's something extraordinary. So the, the last weekend up there, it's as they call it in Race at pure Arctic madness. And I think that's it uh, says a lot what it's about. That certainly says quite a lot. I mean, Arctic mad- uh, Madness, you have 50K, really tough race uh, on Saturday, then Sunday, another long race. Anton, uh, personally, what do you think about this this ending? Was really two tough races. And then what's the feedback you, uh, you've got gotten from uh, from skiers about it? Uh, this is much harder than anything we've done in the past in terms of like the final race. Yeah, race a lot, but it's, uh, of course, the... Uh the one hilliest course uh, except for Perato Piazza in the tour and uh, I really liked it uh, <clears throat> it's super natural natural, and uh, 
very nice sceneries there, of course, up the Orta Mountains and everything, uh, close to the sea. And then uh, with this long, iconic climb up to Orta. And then we have a... Once you're up there, you get to ski on top of the mountains all the way back back to, to Bardafoss. So that's has grown to be a, a classic and still still the question is who will be the first one to win it without the kickwacks. And then for the next day then we have Summit to Senya and uh, as David mentioned I I uh, did the scouting a little bit of the course uh, this spring here and it uh, it's a quite different profile actually it, it's uh, the hills are aren't as steep they are more gradually gradually taking us up the mountains they are quite long actually but they are not so super steep and then we enter enter um, finsness in a fabulous way and ending it on the in the port there as david mentioned close to the sea once the season is finished we end by the sea and you can't literally ski any longer that you will dip into the ocean so Anton, what's the feedback you've gotten from the skiers about this weekend, having a, those two tough races back-to-back as the last race or races of the season? Yes, the feedback was, uh, of course, if we get the real feedback once we have done done it uh, as the last weekend. We've done double weekends before and we, we know it works and we know the teams really like it because uh, they they want to compete and they are... I normally call them strong Vikings, as many of them are from the north. And of course, we have our strong Vikings from the Central European Vikings also. But uh, yes, we'll we'll see once the final two events is uh, done and dusted in uh, Summit to Senja and Reisalöpete. But I'm sure we will have a thrilling finale weekend there. Speaking of finale and and festivities, uh, David, anything special uh, Ulles Levy used to be the uh, the finale, uh, big gala nights and a cool place to to party. Uh, what about uh, now the uh, Badufos and this location, this area? What what can we expect? A lot, Timo. No, Happy to we, hear. Of course, <laughs> uh, we don't want to reveal everything now in this early, but of course we are planning for something to do on Sunday evening after the second event. And and that's what you said. Yeah, Yuleslavi, we've been some years. And before that, we were in in Åre in Sweden. And even f- before that, in the beginning of the class, we were in Norefjell for the finish and also had nice event weekends. So so to have a little bit uh, move where they actually, the, the last race is, is uh, makes the prologue and the last event of the season makes a little bit interesting in the in the calendar to actually have a little bit dynamics there, I would say. So, so people can try the maybe the nightlife in different parts of Europe too, it's because it's it's not so much, uh, of course, space for that during the rest of the season. And, uh, but uh, but after the last event, normally you can have a little bit fun too. And now we've gone through the whole season, starting from December all the way to to April uh, from Badkestein to uh, to Senia, uh, part of Senia, Norway. When you both, both of you, when you look at this now, uh, what do you are, what are kind of your hopes and expectations for the season? And Anton, let's get started with you. From a race director's perspective, what do you expect to see? 
I hope that we keep this uh, momentum that I feel that we have now, that we're continue to growing, we're continuing to growing interest and uh, and during to the sports and to the events, and it feels like everything is coming together, getting better and better quality at uh, all types of. Uh, things that are involved in ski classic so i hope that we can continue that path forward uh, for this year also and what about you david um, you've been doing this for so long but you st- do you still get nervous do you still get butterflies before the season starts for sure i mean the first event it feels like you you never remember how it was to be in a tv bus or something you, you takes after after the first events you normally get into it again but it's always uh, quite you know, not scary at right or but it feels uh, it feels very special the weeks before the first event of each season. So, so this season, I think it's of course uh, from the calendar point of view, which we talked through. I think the Prutor calendar is, is a great one. It feels that we have a, a good weight, a balance, as we say, in in the calendar with different formats, different times of the year etc etc so it feels like a very stable calendar and then of course we should say a couple of words about it because you know it's not a laugh it's more like a how do you say that we get a little bit uh, you know you feel every year there comes a new challenge and we just of course have to cope with it but we had of course like everyone else in our society we had uh, two or even three winters of corona which was quite tough and then came uh, of course normally we have problems with like lack of snow or avalanches or stuff like that but then kind of corona years and and then after that of course the the war time uh, the invasion of ukraine which of course affected that uh, a lot uh, our um, setup at the end of this season and then with the inflation coming and also uh, you know all the the crisis around that the financial crisis and the interest going up at the energy price, etc. So I'm sure we will have a lot of interesting problems, so to say, to, to cope with this coming winter and, and do it as best as possible and also showing doing it in a sustainable way because um, I think there will be a quite tough tough winter to come for the whole whole European continent. So of course we need to to be um, you know reflect and be be aware of how normal people have it in uh, in uh, around Europe too. So so we do, so we stay connected with the grassroots of our of our sport basically. Well, it goes without saying that each season comes with its own ups and and downs. But also, quick word about challengers. We've been talking about pro, pro tour and all these great races, but we have to remember we ha- we have. 49, I think, 49 events at this stage, pretty soon 50 events uh, in uh, Ski Classics Challengers Series. And Anton, you and I, we just commentated on the Claravis Lopet uh, last weekend uh, roller ski race. That's also a great thing about Challengers is that roller ski races can also apply. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about that. Not, of course, not about every single race, but the concept. Yeah, but in general, we we when we started classes, we began speaking about with the logo, the updated logo that we are launching actually today when when this podcast is launched. Uh, so you can see it on the homepage and and on this pod, uh, podcast button, I guess you can see too. But um, then in the beginning, it was a, a pro 
uh, tour for the professional skiers kind of focus was there. And then we've tried over the years to to find what is the right calendar. I mean, what's the right setup of the calendar? I mean, we started with a few races, we grow a little bit more. We tried one year to be in China and we kind of fell into the, as of now, I'm not saying it should be there forever because of course we're looking for the North American continent too. But, but where the Pluto is now, we are from Southern to Northern Europe, which makes a lot of sense from traveling point of view, etc. It's then going all around the world. But when we decided that the Pluto should be from Southern to Northern Europe, it automatically says, gives us, um, you know, uh, we need to say no to a lot of other events around the world that would like to be part. So then we tried to find another concept which you can be together in the same fam family as the Pruto or Ski Classics to, to have the challenge concept where everyone can be part and actually giving a little bit back from from what maybe the Pruto and the Pro athletes can give, try to distribute the Pro. That's one, one of the main reasons is to to kind of increase the interest for the sport all around the world of long distance skiing. So when we have the challenger where you actually calculate your best result in the yellow bib of the Pro Tour, that means that we try to push the Pro Team athletes to spread out to all this. And now at least 49 challengers comes more, more or less every week. There's one signing up now. So, but there are around 49 challengers now uh, that they get also uh, Pro Team athletes coming and being ambassadors for the sport. So, so, um, so that was kind of uh, uh, the, the mission from our side was to try to find a way to include all the other events we see. We have a list of about 300 long distance events in the world. We would like that part of challengers uh, so that these 300 can can easy way uh, be part of the same family and we can help with our television coverage, etc. to promote also the smaller uh, events in maybe other countries and then hopefully over the time some of these will grow and some will be natural naturally take the step from challenge to prout or two and so so the challenge is something i personally like a lot and see that it's we just open that project i think in in some 20 30 years from now i think you will see um, quite a big change in what the Shalini, comp uh, Shalini concept can can become. So so having that global platform along the sense races to, to build on it, that's a super interesting project, I think. So yeah, and if you want to find more inf information about the challengers, you can go on our website, uh, skiclassics.com, uh, read more about them. And also, of course, uh, uh, join us and participate in one of the races. Uh, they pretty much all over the world. Uh, but time really flies. And uh, I said in my intro that we'll talk about the pro teams and athletes. But we will do that next time. So stay tuned for more. We definitely will talk about pro teams, all those 35 pro teams and the athletes. We will continue with David and Anton uh, next time, a little bit later on. But thank you very much, guys. Uh, and thank you, audience out there. Keep listening to this podcast. Stay ready and be ready for the upcoming season. And see you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.